Hannah and Eric like to go birding at sewage ponds. They're so much more productive than your neighborhood lawns. Thank you for tuning in to Hannah and Eric Go Birding, a podcast by birders for birders. I'm Hannah, and he's Eric. And we created this podcast to share adventures, sometimes misadventures, and opinions that we have on different birding topics. We are definitely not experts in anything that we discuss that might be controversial. We want you to remember their own opinions, and they might be different from yours. So what's new? Not much. So I feel like this episode is more borderline misadventure than <laughs> adventure. <laughs> I feel like it's more in tune with, like, the beginnings of our show. Yeah, probably. Like, let's just go out somewhere and talk. (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, to to our roots. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, before we get into that, um, do we have any, like, big bird news going on? Um, It's been pretty quiet. I mean, there's things happening, of course, like rare birds showing up. In different places, and we've had um, a lot of unusual things show up on the West Coast here, but nothing like super crazy. And um, yeah, I feel like everything's been really quiet. People have been talking about the new duck stamp a lot and how um, they're requiring that there be hunting imagery in the duck stamp. So I've been kind of following that because, you know, we've been semi vocal before about um, how we feel about the duck stamp. And so I found, I saw a post earlier today of like a cinnamon teal and then it has, um, a shotgun shell in the water and then as litter. Uh, well, I see, I don't know. Like, I don't know the artist motivation behind it. Mm-hmm. I think it's showing like it's, it's like negative to, or it's being, um, rebellious to the new way that the fish and wildlife duck stamp is, but okay. I don't know if that's true. Hmm. Um, and then the winning image, I believe, I can't remember what kind of duck it was, but it had a bird call or a duck call, like one of the little, um, uh, things that you can buy and it's like, no, I can't do it. You could probably do it. (laughs) (laughs) That call. (laughs) (laughs) Just ended up that first one. (laughs) I don't know what a duck sounds like, apparently. Um. I think, well, well, neither did that kid that was out, of, out there at that part. Seriously. So anyways, that's been going on. People are talking about that. Um, but yeah, other than that, I feel like it's all been very quiet. People are just out there birding. So I feel like people have just been kind of, you know, birding on their own and doing their own thing and seeing things and talking about it on WhatsApp. But um, yeah, it's. I feel like it's actually been really quiet. We haven't had yeah. any new reviews. We had a couple of ratings. So thank you for uh, you guys that took the time to rate us. We appreciate it. And anybody who's done reviews in the past, no uh, ask Hannah and Eric questions. Yeah, so no, um, no questions, no no reviews. So <laughs> nothing to read. <laughs> but we did um, have a couple people listen to the last episode, right? Yep. Um, so our top listenership for last episode was Council Bluffs, Iowa. So thank you for tuning in, Iowa. And then second was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So thank That's you exciting. all for listening, and thanks to everybody else who listened in other parts of the world but didn't get all your friends in that town to listen. <laughs> <laughs> so the first part of our show today, we're going to talk with Tim Appleton, who is um, the head of Global Birding, which is an effort to um, get people out and go birding and also to help push the global big day that's mm-hmm. coming up soon. Global Birding participates with, uh, or uh, has partnered with eBird and BirdLife International to put this whole event together. And part of it is to raise money to stop the illegal bird trade. 
Yeah, so sit back and listen to our interview with uh, Tim Appleton. Okay, well, Tim, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this big birding event that's coming up. But first, would you tell us about yourself? Okay, well, my name's Tim, Tim Appleton, and uh, I've been working in nature conservation virtually all my life. I won't tell you how old I am, but, uh, you know, I'm old enough to have a bus pass and about a dozen other things. So, um, But I've actually retired recently as the reserve manager of a place called Rutland Water, which uh, was basically a huge um, reservoir uh, being constructed when I came in 1975 uh, as a mere child almost, uh, to try to sort of turn the area and create a lot of wildlife habitats for particularly ducks and geese and swans. It's a wetland area. And I used to work for a guy called Sir Peter Scott, who was the founder of the WWF. So I have a lot of background in sort of water management. Um, and in fact, interestingly, when I was there, one of the great people I met uh, was uh, uh, Roger Tory Peterson. So when he came across wow. to, to visit Slim. So, uh, yeah, I've had a really good career working in conservation. Uh, I started the bird fair, which of course is the largest bird fair in the world, which I'm not involved with now. But, uh, you know, this is why I sort of now moved on to uh, another project, which is, of course, uh, initially called Global Birding. And the Global Birding Big Event, we're calling the Global Bird Weekend, connecting with the October Big Day with uh, eBird. So, you know, it's, it's been an ama amazing career. I've loved every moment of it. Uh, I've done sort of lots of traveling. I've uh, advised a lot of people on conservation. Uh, just recently, last year, in fact, I was in Beijing helping uh, set up a, a project to create a new uh, reservoir, which would be probably one of the fight if it happens. You know, the Chinese are like, you know, it does take time, but, you know, the, the things are moving in the right direction to create an area for people, for conservation, for recreation, and of course, uh, as a water supply as well. So, you know, there are great things you can do in this environment of ours. Okay, I, I don't want to get too off track, but did you say you started the um, the UK Bird Fair? Yeah, yeah, I started that <laughs> as the very first bird fair in the world in 1989. And um, of course, since then, it's uh, inspired bird fairs all over the world, including, of course, uh, uh, the, the Birding Expo, which uh, the late Bill Thompson, um, sadly, you know, no longer with us, but uh, mm -hmm. he came over lots of times to uh, Rutland where the bird fairs held. And um, so, he, you know, that and amongst many other events and festivals. So that's actually opened up other doors for me to travel. And I've been lucky enough to travel quite widely, you know, opening bird fairs and lecturing and that sort of thing. So it's great fun. Great fun. Loved it. And we've done amazing We've raised millions of pounds for conservation uh, for BirdLife International, and my um, connection with BirdLife International continues with this new event. Yeah, I know we really hope to go to Bird Fair. We were planning on going this year, um, but just, you know, with everything yeah. happening, yeah. that didn't work out. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, maybe see you one year one day. <laughs> Hopefully. Oh, <for> sure. <laughs> so what exactly is the Global Bird Weekend? Okay, so what is the Global Bird uh, Weekend? Basically, it's a sort of like a launch for this new venture, Global Birding. Now, the idea of Global Birding, uh, right from the outset, has been to sort of bring people across the world together through their love of nature and through birds and, and other wildlife, but primarily birds. And of course, you know, a lot of people who have been restricted because of the COVID crisis around the world, the pandemic, has resulted in people 
not being able to go out and enjoy wildlife, but for a lot of people, it's actually created a new interest in wildlife. You know, people that are sort of literally sitting on their balconies, wondering what on earth to do. Oh, wow, what's that flying past? You know, well, we can get some bird feed and have them in our backyard or our gardens. Um, some people have managed to get out to their local uh, nature reserves or parks. And suddenly there's a massive new um, wave almost of, of people you know, really interested in wildlife and particularly birds. I mean, birds are great flagships for you know, nature because, you know, they're all around us. So with that in mind and being uh, always interested on the sort of global scale for conservation, um, we came up with this idea and I've met uh, a number of people, particularly Chris Wood, initially from eBird uh, at various conferences and uh, meetings around the world. So I connected with him and said, look, I've got this great idea. You know, would you be interested as eBird to help sort of coordinate it and sort of bring the whole thing together through uh, your global uh, big days? Well, they said, yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. I said, well, actually, I want it more than one day. I want it as a weekend. And they said, that's fine by us. So what we're going to try and do working, you know, for the future, but for this year is to bring up to, say, 20, 25,000 people around the world together to actually go out, enjoy birds, record them, send their uh, lists into eBird and possibly create a, a world record for the number of people taking part, the number of bird species seen. And on the Sunday, we're going very much for the sort of, you know, go out, enjoy yourself, sketch, you know, the birds, take photographs of the birds, send them into the McClory Library, which can take up to about, I think it's something like crazy, like 70,000 photographs a day. Um, so you know, again, we could set a world record on the number of bird species actually recorded. So with all this sort of going on, you know, as well as being fun, and we're very, very conscious that the people are, you know, at the moment, you know, restricted with the funds that they have, you know, people are losing their jobs and, you know, on restricted pay. But we also hope people will donate some money towards the cause, which this year is again working with BirdLife International to stop the illegal bird trade, which is just massive globally. So you've got that link that with the bird trade and COVID. Um, so, you know, it brings it all together very nicely for this October 17th and 18th um, on our global big weekend. Yeah. So for, for the weekend, you, you mentioned that uh, working with eBird, how are, um, is the global birding team like collating the data that it, that comes into eBird to determine that someone's together. Like I, I've, I saw online that there's teams. Is there other ways that people uh, can participate with the Global Birding Weekend and eBird sort of together? I mean, not every part of the world has the opportunity to use eBird. For example, mm -hmm. in China and other countries. I mean, in South Africa, they use a a, connect, a, a recording scheme called Bird Lassa. Uh, in this, in the UK, we have a thing called Bird Track. So up until now, a lot of these haven't worked together. So I'm slowly trying to make um, inroads into getting um, the different uh, recording systems to work together. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily one to take over the other, but at least be able to share their records. And eBird and BirdTrack in the UK have agreed that this year particularly that they will work together. So anybody in the UK or using BirdTrack globally, uh, their records will automatically be loaded into eBird and help you know, bring us the sort of totals. Now, in terms of individuals, most people can uh, just uh, go online 
and we got loads of people from the states who were really excited and you know, lots of the um, different uh, states themselves you know are represented so you know what we're hoping is that um, you know we get this massive interest of people you know around the globe looking at birds recording them letting us know that you know perhaps they've got a, a record number of birds for the first time ever seen in Ecuador or you know Oregon or whoever it might be and it's just really trying to bring people together you know and, and enjoy a fantastic weekend. So um, is there a way for people who haven't joined a team is there a way for them to register in advance so they can have the information about this and also be counted? Absolutely very much so I mean you can if you send out your uh, podcast today uh, I would like to think that we'll be having inundated with uh, people registering <laughs> Basically, all you'd have to do is to go to our website, uh, go to register, and as an individual, all we say to you is, uh, you know, send us where you're from. Uh, there's a little bit of information that just says, you know, what binoculars do you use, and uh, you know, where do you go, what's your favourite bird, or something like that. And then you just tick the bottom. There's no cost. There's nothing. You know, you don't have to pay anything to join, and then that will automatically uh, then uh, become on our register. Uh, then on the on the website itself, it tells you very very clearly how to join eBird, how to create you know your own lists, and if you're a team, then how as a team you can get together, ideally with a team leader, so your captain you know of the team, <laughs> and uh, the captain then sort of can either collate all the information. Again, some of the countries, I mean we've got. Have you heard of Rock Jumper? The um, yeah, they've got. 50 people on their team wow. you know in about probably not quite 50 countries but you know scattered around the world so they'll be putting all their data in together to create this amazing you know they could have a thousand species you know two thousand species um from that one team now there are no prizes as such you know we're not saying it's not we're not trying to compete so you know, although there's a lot of people taking part there are some companies there's a com i can't remember the name exactly but there's a, a new team that's uh, just uh, registered and the couple live in an RV and uh, they're going to be birding from their RV. Now they're not going to be able to compete you know in terms of the number of species but what an amazing way that you know whatever your situation is you know you will be able to go out and enjoy the birds. So yeah go on, on the line uh, go to the register and the nice thing about it everyone that registers on our site uh, has the opportunity to win uh, various prizes. It'll be a lucky draw purely, you know, it's not on the amount of money you've raised or the number of birds you've seen or the numbers of people in your team. So every team member, when we have the draw, can one of the, win one of the new pair of uh, Swarovski binoculars, the um, oh. Pures, and uh, a five th well, the equivalent of a $5,000 voucher for a, a holiday with uh, Rock Jumper. And eBird are providing a lots of little prizes, you know, such as birds of the um, bird of the world. Is it birds of the world? Yeah, birds of the world, mm -hmm. and other you know prizes as well. And there are some things coming in all the time. Some a, a lodge in India is offered four days, um, and another one in Panama. So you know, there's lots of things. So you know, at least you know you have a chance of you know as well as taking part, winning something as well. Well, you could you could just pretend that you you did if you win the lucky draw, you could just pretend like you did the best of everyone else. <laughs> oh, I was lucky. No, 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 I did best. I saw I saw the most birds. That's why I won. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, I think it's going to be great fun. I mean, we've now, I can't believe it. I and mean, we only started this. I mean, Penny and I, my partner, you know, we've done this entirely together. We've built the website. I mean, she's done 99% of all the technical stuff, you know, in the kitchen, literally, you know, next door. And the whole thing has just been built, you know, without any money at all. Uh, well, our own money, we've put money into boosting the posts and things like that. But because of my connections around the world with, with through Birdfair, you know, we've asked people, you know, like we've asked you to do this today or you've come to us. Uh, we've asked uh, people to do videos promoting the event, you know, it helps them promote themselves as well. But, you know, that, that, and that's what I think is so exciting about it. The sort of initial uh, response from people has just been amazing. And uh, today we had our 90th country um, register. Uh, would you be Luxembourg, which isn't very far from the UK? <laughs> but it's I mean, been this long. Well, it, you would not believe it. Um, you know, it really is incredible. From literally sort of places like um, Belarus to China to uh, uh, um, all over the Middle East. So I mean, it is remarkable. Even Venezuela now, we've got three or four. There's a two teams I think coming to be taking part from Venezuela. Teams from all over South America, teams from Africa, Uganda, particularly South Africa, uh, Bots is it Botswana? Yeah, I think Botswana, or certainly South Africa, and and all, all over the place. So you know, I think we've got about probably we will have thirty or forty different teams taking part by the time everyone's pulled their finger out and sent all their photographs in and got. <laughs> uh, if you look at the website again, you'll see you know the number of teams that are already uh, registered. So. Um... So when we go out birding, like Eric's, he's taking the pictures of the birds and everything, and I'm more of the social media manager. So okay. is there <laughs> something that people should be posting on, like during the whole weekend? Should people be like tagging anybody in particular Absolutely. using hashtags? Uh, hashtag global, um, hashtag global birding and hashtag global birding weekend. Is that right, Penny? Global bird weekend. Sorry, my uh, my brother is. <laughs> Come and say hello. hello. <laughs> Hi there. Hi. Emails that are from Tim. It's kind of Tim, but through me. So, <laughs> a lot of people come back to, oh, it's so nice to hear from you personally. I'm like, just there's a quick nudge, nudge. This person has been talking to you, okay? Just in case they call you. <laughs> had a conversation with them for a week. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but no, it's great. Yeah. So basically, you know, it is um hashtag hashtag global birding and global bird weekend and, and global bird weekend so yeah i mean the more you can put on the particularly you know you're doing the photographs and things like that the more you can load up and get them onto the uh, uh you know, the e-bird um and again it tells you exactly how to launch uh, sorry how to load up photographs and things like that so and you can do bird recordings and the great thing we've just had uh, this morning um i don't know if you know her. what's her name penny the girl who sent the uh um, uh, Anna Stunkel. Anna Stunkel? Anna Stunkel. She's an American young artist and will be, in fact, uh, launching her video a bit later on today, probably, or, but, tomorrow. or tomorrow morning. But she has done a great uh, video uh, telling everybody, you know, do take part. And then she's done, at the end of her little uh, video, she's, she's an artist, she's done a bird sketch. And, you know, in quick time, so, you know, literally in sort of two minutes is all or less than that, you create this image. But so we're really hoping that a number of artists will you know, come together, again, post their pictures on the Internet and we'll be sharing. And eventually we will set up a YouTube 
uh, channel and you know put all this stuff in that we receive over the weekend and in the future on onto our YouTube channel. But uh, we still got to work that out. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for sitting sitting down with us and explaining to us how all of this is going to work in the over this uh, global birding weekend. And uh, we look forward to participating. I, yeah, I can't. I can't wait to see see what all the results come out to be. Great, guys. Well, thank you for inviting me. I look forward to telling you all about the results. You know, in about four weeks, three to four weeks' time. So uh, okay. hopefully, we'll be. Um, you know, telling everyone what a great weekend and also how much money is being raised because you know we really do want people to try to put it even if it's a few dollars a couple of dollars or whatever just into the um and you can do that straight on the website as well and that will all help stop this unbelievably cruel illegal bird trade that's going on around the world thanks guys and uh, see you soon so thank you so much, Tim, for joining us to tell us more about the Global Birding Big Day and everything that's going on on that weekend. So just remember, it's October 17th and 18th, and we hope to see you guys all participating. Yeah, ten, ten more days, and we can all join in this whole Global global Bird Weekend. So, And there's a couple teams that we'll be participating with. Um, we are actually intending on getting the weekend off and going out birding somewhere. Not entirely sure where yeah, yet. Maybe two whole days for a weekend. That would be, be amazing. Um, so <clears throat> one team is going to be the COA Women in Step, which is the team that I did the uh, Global Women's Big Day in March with. And, you know, my um, Champions of the Flyway team We're trying to get women out and bird again for this event. And then the birding co-op is doing a team as well. So um, please feel free to join both teams uh, or one team or make your own team. There's a lot of options out there, but make sure to register um, even if you're just going out by yourself because, or, or if you're going out with a team, you still need to register yourself because there are some cool prizes and I hope to finally win something. Yeah, I got some cool, cool prizes and um, you can, if you have a little bit of extra money, you can donate it to BirdLife International. Or um, I think there's a way to donate directly to the Global Bird Weekend, which then in turn goes to BirdLife International. But either way, money money that's going to a good cause for that. So for our second portion of our uh, episode today, we um, Hannah and I went out and hung out, or tried to hang out at Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge, but we ended up going over to... Uh, Fernhill Fer Wetlands. Yeah, Fernhill Wetlands. So that's... That's where we ended up at, at and recorded, so there was a little bit of a mishap in terms of uh, closures of roads and what was what was allowed to, where we were allowed to go and stuff like that. Always check websites. <laughs> but anyways, it was it was really good. We had we had a good time out there. Lots of birds. I think over thirty species. Uh, the two two short visits we were there. So and it was surprisingly hot for October. Oh my gosh, it's so hot right now. Well, yeah. Here in Cannon Beach, it's not hot, but in the was, Portland area, in the in the Portland area for Oregon, it's very hot. For the rest of the like Texas and Florida, it's not so bad. But for, yeah, I think I saw in the valley, it's going to be like at uh, the Rio Grande Valley, oof. it's going to be like ninety nine right oof. now. Yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah, so yeah. it was it was eighties. It was like mid eighties <laughs> for us. So in the beginning of October, mid eighties is I feel like is very warm. Yeah, it's hot for for Oregon. So. So I know that Eric does want to point out one thing. Um, <laughs> we hear a weird call at one point in time. I can't remember it, what the call was. It was constant, actually. So I it, it started it started like maybe two minutes in, and it was it was like a like 
and it's like a cuckoo-ish kind of like a cuckoo kind of like maybe a goal that's in distress <laughs> i'm not sure i thought it was a bird to start with no let's just say it was a goal maybe it was a goal i don't know but <laughs> i thought it was a bird to start with and then i was like no it's got to be a person and then i, I flip-flopped we talked about it a little bit um but we never discussed it while we were out there um it, it was a child that has amazing consistency amazing. in their call and it was they, they the child got up to us and then it was like oh that's where the sound's coming from so so listen for that in uh, while we're out there and anything else that we need to listen for um no enjoy the wetlands with us so a cackling goose a mallard and a marsh wren walk into a bar and say to the bartender, this place is a dump. And he says, no, it's not. It's a sewage pond. <laughs> so we're, at, we're out here for no wetlands. <laughs> Come on, I told you that was worth it. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was worth the wait. <laughs> Our comedy bird podcast is not going well. <laughs> okay, it was, it was worth the wait. Now, so, backstory on that. Like, <laughs> Hannah told me... Like, we, we've been trying to set up the microphone and, like, find a quiet, quietish place to sit here and talk for, like, I don't know, like, five minutes. And a plane's flying by, and we have all sorts of background noise. And Hannah, like, at the beginning of all of this, says, I've, I've got a really funny joke. Because I, I, I said something about a noise we were hearing, and she's like, I got a really funny joke, but you have to hurry up and start recording. <laughs> and so that was it. <laughs> Aren't you glad you all heard that? You guys didn't have to wait for it, though. You're That's, so lucky. Yeah. So thank you guys for joining us for the, our latest episode. We are at Fernhill Wetlands Park, which is in Forest Grove, Oregon. So kind of in between Portland and the coast. And uh, we came out here because recently there was a pretty good bird being sighted out here. Um, the last time it was sighted was like four days or five days before we had a chance to go anywhere. <laughs> so... We, we figured we'd just we'd still go and look, because maybe people just aren't looking hard enough. Maybe we'll be the ones to refine we'll, we'll it. We'll refine it. So the, the bird that's being that was being seen out here is a sharp-tailed sandpiper, which is a migratory sandpiper from Asia that um, summers up in northern Siberia and then winters, or and then subsequently their summer then again. Down in um, down in Australia, it's a bird that just takes it takes advantage of everybody's it summer. Just, it just lives in the summer, northern wow. hemisphere, southern hemisphere, the whole time. So, and it's uh, fairly. It's not, I guess, not super regular, but uh, there's there's a couple of them seen every year um, throughout the Pacific Northwest. So yeah, and I think there's two or three of them being seen like in the past couple weeks or so. Yeah, so we had this one here at Fernhill Wetlands, and then there was another one um, over in northern. Northeastern, um, Northeastern, like almost by the Boise, Washington, Oregon border. Yeah, Umatilla County. So it's it's like four hours from us. So there was, it was like, ah, I don't know. How'd that bird get that far? Yeah, seriously. It's, maybe it was this bird. Who knows? But I, I don't, I think they were seen the same day. So it's got to be two different birds. But Well, anyways, anyways. It's, it's a vagrant that um, just pops up every once in a while. And yeah, it was being seen out here. And this is another park. And so this is the other half of my joke. This is a, another sewage plant park, and we've been to a couple of them so far on our show. We've been to Sweetwater Wetlands, um, uh, Philomath Wetlands. There's a few others that we've been to and maybe not talked about, but sewage plants are one of the best places to see birds. We've, we've talked about that like maybe 
every time we ever talk about sewage ponds. <laughs> well, we, we, we've gone to the Cannon Beach Settling Ponds. Oh, you're right. They're, yeah. they're, they're right there next to us. So yeah, we can't get away from them. you you got, you got to stay as close as you can to sewage ponds at all times. Always be birding. There's a lot of places <laughs> that, you know, that have these, like, high nutrient loads that attract a lot of species. And we're in fall migration right now, and so we're hearing tons of geese fly over. And uh, most of them are going to be cacklers and canadas. And then... Oh, that's a, that might be a child yelling, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no, that's a bird. Okay. I don't know what kind of bird. <laughs> um, but... It, this Sorry, is actually very, very distracting. Yeah, this is actually a it's a beautiful location. So there's the main sewer ponds that are behind us that are aerating um, the the wastewater, and it's actually a very interesting way that they're doing it. That Eric had to look at the other day and I was very, talk all I was about. Very, yeah, we, we so we came here the day before we're recording, um, late in the evening, and just kind of just wander around and look at birds and try to find the sandpiper. And then now, now it's it's the next day, and we're here again. So now I'm not talking. Now I'm not obsessed with the uh, um, the active wastewater plant operations going on. So this plant, this whole wetland park, is b broken up into two different areas. So there's an active sewage treatment plant that does the bulk of the the treating, has the all of the aerobic digesters and all that stuff in it, and then the rest of where everyone else walks around is the the runoff from that plant, um, getting a final, uh, final TSS treatment or, um, total suspended solids or any other, um, extra nitrogen or ammonia fixing that needs to be done to the water before it's released out into, out of the wetlands. And, um, if you've been to a location like this before, you'll know that it doesn't smell. So it may be a lot of sewage water, but it doesn't have a odor to it. Yeah. Um, got a killdeer flying over. Well, it's not a cormorant flying away. Yeah, it's a cormorant flying away. We've got double-crested cormorants out here. Oh, a robin just landed in the tree up there. We've had a huge influx of robins in the last couple weeks. Um, but one of the interesting things about locations like this is so they occur in, you know, highly, or in more urban areas mm -hmm. because it's wastewater. There's a, there's a lot of people using, creating wastewater in exactly. an urban area. Yeah, and so they can't ship it that far away from, like, the cities or anything like that. So... They're in an urban area, and that's where we're at. We're in Forest Grove. It's pretty urban, um, but it provides hundreds of thousands of people that live just on the other side of these trees, basically, and support this system <laughs> and support this wastewater plant. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know that that creates an opportunity for a lot of people to use these locations, and this location is. I, I think it's gorgeous. Like it has, sure, it has the wastewater system just behind us, but in front of us, it, I mean, there's willows, there's like tons of snags that they've put out um, trying to attract different species. And, you know, yesterday when we were here, we saw a kingfisher and a couple of bald eagles and robins and all of these geese are using this environment. And you can also hear all these children that are like talking. <laughs> They're also using the environment. Exactly. And when we were out here yesterday, there were a lot of runners um, running the trails, which is just so cool that this location isn't far from people's homes. And so they're able to get out and experience, you know, the nature and the wildlife. Not everybody has a car and can go to, you know, a state park or a national park. And so having locations like this that are fairly um, close to cities. and. Free. 
yeah, free, exactly. And, well, I mean, we pay for it with our, our sewage bills. That's true. But there, there's no entry fee, and it's very close to neighborhoods. So mm -hmm. there's basically completely surrounding this wetland, aside from the south side. The whole no north and uh, east side of this um, wetland park is all urban and all residential. So there's hundreds of houses that are within walking distance of this wetland here. And it also provides a refuge for all of this wildlife that may not have anywhere else to go because it's you know a highly urban area and they created this oasis of high nutrient load and you know clean water and lots of vegetation clean enough water yeah <laughs> it'll be clean once it's out of the out of the wetlands but it's clean enough when it evaporates yeah so i think it's it's really cool and i hope if you haven't checked out your local sewage plant um you might see some of them aren't going to be necessarily as nice as like one like this uh but there are some communities they're putting a ton of money into making them recreational locations as well so you can learn about what's happening at your sewage plant and also explore and experience um all that the wildlife is is taking advantage of yeah, and honestly like i don't think i've made, met a wastewater treatment plant operator that wasn't super excited to give someone a tour of their plant <laughs> so i mean if even if it's not like a wetland park that's a wastewater treatment plant even if it's just the um the big circles that are just kind of like really industrial looking like i almost guarantee if you sent them an email or give give them a call and said hey can i can i take a tour of the plant you would almost almost guaranteed you'd be able to get a tour of the wastewater plant because they are they're interesting and the treatment plant operators know they're interesting so <laughs> at, least, at least i knew mine was interesting if anyone i had one person when i operated that, really that came and they asked for a tour. tour yeah so i was like oh heck yes i'm giving you a tour <laughs> you're like this is gonna be an eight hour you tour. are gonna see everything <laughs> at this park and you are gonna you're gonna get to see the whole plant you're i'm gonna show you the outfall is you're gonna get to see it they didn't, they, they weren't that interested <laughs> i think i think they were hoping there was bird the plant i was operating did not have uh, a very good bird area in the act in the active plant so bummer yeah <laughs> So another one of the great things about coming to a place like this that's so urban and like easily accessible is that you can really experience the seasonal change and, you know, visit it more frequently so you can see what things are occurring, you know, throughout the year and get to know kind of the cycles of your area a little bit better. Like right now the geese are coming in about a couple months ago, you know, it was probably more just like shorebirds and... Um, common uh, yellow throats and wrens. And I was, yeah, I was say before that, you, you end up with a lot of warblers as they're coming coming through, and it's just the constant cycle of things changing through. And also, right now, all of the um, oak leaves they're all they're all turning. I killed her, trying to get our attention. <laughs> uh, <Shut all>, up. <laughs> I'm not paying attention to you right now. <laughs> um, but all, all the all the oak leaves are changing. It's uh, we're in we're at the beginning of October now, so think leaves are changing the plants are dropping leaves or changing changing colors and foliage the birds are definitely changing there you, you come here a couple months like a month ago and there wouldn't nearly be the number of uh geese out here like the ge geese and duck numbers are spiking as they as they fly south and come down to their wintering grounds here or further south than here so it's definitely like hannah said a great place for to notice the changes from season to season and because they're so local to people, you can 
monitor it more often rather than someplace that's a, a trip or a trek out to go and find. And that's a great way to learn more about your local area as well as like the wildlife that occurs there because you can watch, you know, families of, of song sparrows or something like that grow up and then, mm-hmm. you know, get to know like the babies and then once they start moving throughout this the region. Yeah, so I, this, com- coming out to Fernhill to record wasn't our number one goal for today. What we had intended on doing is going to Ridgefield um, National Wildlife Refuge and doing the auto tour and going and looking at the seasonal changes there. Um, with all the geese coming in, you have, uh, the, the Ridgefield was set aside for a specific subspecies of Canada goose, the dusky Canada goose. It's much darker, just a little bit smaller than the western, um, bigger than a cackler still, but it's just kind of one of those. It's a different goose that you can kind of tell in the field. But we got there, and I thought I thought we had done enough research. Um, the auto the auto loop is open only to cars starting October first, so it's like okay, so we're good there. We're not going to be able to walk, but we're going to drive, which. We were looking forward to that. Yeah, I like doing <laughs> auto tours. Um, and then... Uh, I'm lazy. And, and and the hours were all good. Everything looked good. Then it turned out that today and yesterday, it's closed for road construction. So the the one day off we get, we get there and it's closed. <laughs> and, and it was on their website. We just... I didn't look care, as carefully as I should have. So I guess that's a lesson just to, like, do all your research. Yes. The, if, if there is a link that says, um, check here for additional closures... Click on that link and see if maybe that applies to when you're going and, and the places that you want to go there. Um, but we did, we did get to walk around to Ridgefield a little bit. There's a, uh, a northern unit, the Carty unit, that, we, uh, that has a, Native Amer- a replica of a Native American uh, plank house that was built. The big, huge house made out of cedar planks. Like, oh my gosh, the like, cedar planks literally are like, like the size of like a tree. Two or three feet wide. Yeah, so it's they're, they're like two or three feet wide and like four or five inches thick and like the length of a tree they'll be like a hundred feet long and they just have these that's that's the planks for the roof and then the planks for the sides are the same sort of thing and then big timbers for the support structure and there was there was a whole story about uh how they're how they're designed and the lewis and clark when they were out here um traveling they they came upon that a bunch of them up in that area where there was, what did it say? There was 15 of them. There was 14 plank houses yeah. with and, and 900 it, residents. That is, it's giant houses made out of these giant timbers. So really impressive buildings. Um, but yeah, so there, there's one of those up on that, on the Cardi unit of the well, Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge. And Ridgefield National Wildlife Refuge is a location that's in uh, Washington state. It's just on the other side of the river from Portland. Uh, or so, up in or so across. the town the, of Ridgefield. The, the Columbia River does a lot of meandering, like not not as much as the Mississippi, but it does some meandering. So the there's like that nub at the top of Oregon, that's the Columbia River turning and going up. It's <laughs> and nub, ju- I always thought it was like a handle, like it's, it's, so if you picked it's, up it's Oregon, Oregon's you handle. could like smack somebody with it. Just like picking up Florida by by the handle, you could smack. Yeah, someone but with like it. it's a small handle, and you hit people with bandon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're swinging it around. <laughs> Gold Beach and Bandon are striking people. Get out of here! <laughs> Bro- or I guess Gold Beach is the other side, but Brookings. Yeah, there you go, Brookings. Bro- Brookings and Bandon are hitting. Yeah. So, um, so where the Columbia turns north is where um, Portland is, and then right before it turns back west again, 
that's where, where, Ridgefield, where is. Ridgefield is. And it's kind of across from where Savi's Island is. And Savi's Island is a huge um, uh, duck and goose hunting location yeah. in the Portland metro area, as well as a birding location. We went out there last year, and we actually had a black and white warbler, yeah. which was really cool. That was exciting. Um, so it's just a fantastic location, and it's also part of a series of national wildlife refuges that occur along the Columbia. Um, so it provides, you know, hot spots and little pockets of habitat for some of these species. Now, hot spots for eBird to use, but more importantly, <laughs> more importantly, the pockets of habitat for uh, for the birds to to get on while they're while they're traveling across the area. Well, and that's one of the things I think is really cool about National Wildlife Refuges is that they like are specifically, you know, of course, a lot of them are donated, and so like you kind of get what you get with that. But In terms of location, yeah. I think they also tend to target locations that are going to, um, you know, provide like jumping off points mm -hmm. or, you know, like stopovers that make logical sense for species. And we did, while we were out there, we did a two mile hike. Yep. It was the Oak to, Oak to Wetlands Trail. Yeah. And oh my gosh, there were so many sparrows on that trail. A lot of song sparrows and golden crown sparrows. So it had a tohies. couple savannas, towhees like crazy. Yeah. Um, nuthatch, kinglets. There's pretty much anything you expect to see in an oak, oak flatlands or oak bottomlands. Like they were, they were all in there and very abundant. Uh, flicker. We had fl we had northern flicker, a, a bunch of downy woodpeckers mm -hmm. and a couple uh, red-breasted sapsuckers. So lots of woodpeckers, lots of lots of standard like. Forest birds. Standard. So, standard, you <laughs> That's know. That's just standard forest yeah, birds. You know, your standard bird. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a standard bird is a robin. We had a robin. We had a couple robins. I know, I'm yeah. just saying. That's so what... we, we had standard birds. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's standard for like north of the United States. And then you get to the southern United States and it's Weird. Not, so, not so common. Yeah, that's not true. So, not so standard. Okay, thrushes. A thrush. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that, that was a really good hike um we were disappointed that we didn't get to go on the auto tour but it's our own fault so we can't blame so, anybody about that so misadventures galore <laughs> <laughs> we didn't promise you we wouldn't have them exactly. but now we're sitting out here at fern hill and enjoying the sights and sounds of it um no smells like i said since it's a sewage plant it doesn't smell yeah i I don't. I don't smell any flowers either. I don't, not in your sniffer. Not my sniffer's not getting anything right now. I don't have the super sniffer though, so it's it's not as not as powerful. But you know, in a couple weeks, there's going to be more and more ducks coming into our area, um, and a lot more geese. And like we talked about with uh, Tim Appleton at the beginning of this episode, you know, the global big weekend, a bird weekend, is coming up. Um, it will be in like a week and a half from when this is released. Yeah. And, you know, we encourage you to get out locally in your area. Maybe check out a sewage plant like the one we're sitting at or a National Wildlife Refuge. And, you know, get out and explore and help, you know, bring awareness to birds. Like tell people on the trail, like, bird, you must bird. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the nice thing, or not nice thing, I don't know, about sewage plants is a lot of the general public is kind of afraid of them. <laughs> they think they're going to smell or they, they, they're just kind of turned off by the thought of a sewage plant. So for COVID's sake, there's there's not a lot of people sometimes. <laughs> this, this this Fernhill Wetlands is a very popular park. So it's it, it's a wetland park that or a sewage wetland park that that is very popular. But many of them are kind of lower on the 
on the regular public's, the non-birding public's radar. So you can get out there and stay COVID safe by staying away from people. And a few people that you run into, you can, you can bring a mask with you and it's, it's all good. But you know, and I was thinking about that with being co- distant from people is easy. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about with COVID, you know, not that, and I'm sure I've probably mentioned this before, not that there's like positives with the whole pandemic situation, but it actually has forced us for like Eric and me, and I'm sure many other people to limit your traveling. And so we're not necessarily traveling to all the places that we would have gone, which we think about regularly. Um, But (laughs) it forces us to explore our local area a little bit more and find different locations that um, people are visiting. And I think that this year, um, this fall in our, in the Portland area, we have a WhatsApp group going on that like tracks all the sightings and everything. And people post on there regularly as well as a, it's a new version of the list serve that most states have, but it's not really supposed to replace it, but because it's so much easier to use, it kind of feels like it's almost replacing it a little bit, but it's, yeah, it's just the equivalent of the old style list serve. But, but more modern. And we've had so many people like posting their sightings and like we've only been on it for a couple months. Um, but just the amount of sightings that have come out in the past couple months mm-hmm. is astounding and things that wouldn't necessarily be on the listserv, I think. So I think, you know, that paired with COVID, you know, with WhatsApp is creating a lot more people going out and exploring these places that are more local and finding the rarities and vagrants that they might have not otherwise seen. Yeah, and and the fact that we, at least in this area, we have that WhatsApp group. It's people want to be social. People want to still communicate with each other, but because we can't do it in person, this is the next best thing to message them, message the whole group. There's there's over, I think there's over 150 people in the Portland area one um, that they just, oh, there's a black Phoebe. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, um, but th- there's over 100. I think there's over 150 people in this group that are constantly sharing, sharing what they're seeing, and they're like, "Oh well, I was just out at uh, Broughton Beach and I saw this," and then somebody's like, "Oh well, I can get out there in 20 minutes," and they, and then so then they, these people never meet face to face, but they they were in the same spot within 20 minutes of each other, look, looking at the same bird. So. Well, and with listservs, like I usually get the digest, so I get it at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and because I didn't want to get emails constantly throughout the day, and with WhatsApp, it's just the text, so it's like not as big a deal as like sorting through a bunch of emails. Yeah, um, which seems silly now that I say that, but no, it's it's just different ways to exp- to utilize technology. Yeah, but however, however you're getting out there and birding, staying staying COVID safe and all that stuff. If you're at a wetland or if you're get if you're going and traveling to taking a road trip across the country and going to different places. However you're doing it, stay, stay COVID safe, stay, stay healthy and be responsible, be responsible and, and share your sightings. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we have a couple life lessons based on this. Yeah. So like for the third time, I'm going to say, I always okay. check the websites like entirely, you know, even call, call the location and be like, Hey, are you guys going to be open? Hey, is this thing I want to do going to be open? People usually hate answering the phone to that call, <laughs> but I mean, it's. it's I know I do. I know it (laughs) drives me nuts when people call our hotel and they're like, "Are you open?" It's like we've been open for months. We've been open for five months. Yes, we are open. We've been open. We're not closed. But it, it's it's better to call than not 
than not. Yeah. I mean, it's it takes two seconds to answer the yes, we're open. I just call, can't. So it's stand, really not that big a deal. I can't <laughs> stand answer, answering a question, you know, that many times. That's just personal. Um, so that's a life lesson learned. Uh, another one, I mean, you know, check your local areas. Um, because, like, we didn't see the sharp-tailed sandpiper, but a lot of other people did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's a place that I wouldn't necessarily expect it to show up. So check it and... You no, might... especially the ponds that it was uh, reported to be at. Like, that was not at all what I was expecting. Like, it was, it like, basically in the aeration basins, like, is where it was reported. So it's like, not at all where you would expect. So if you j- j- fully read the reports... For where where it's where it potentially is at, because it might not at all be where you expect whatever you're looking for. Well, and also just check your local areas because like weird things might pop up that nobody's expecting to pop up there. Yeah, like this thing in an aeration basin. Like why or anywhere at that park? <laughs> I well, I know, That's but what I'm I'm, I'm, at. I know I'm just saying that it, it, it could be. Just look, look everywhere. Don't look. Just, don't just look in the popular places to look, look inside the plant. Go in the bathroom, and it might be yes. there. Yes. Lift up the sewer lids. Check there. Wow. Where, wherever wherever you think a bird might be, just take a look. That would terrify me <laughs> if I look in there and there's a bird. I hope it's okay. Um, yeah, so I think that's all our life lessons learned. <laughs> the two. Yeah. two. Two life lessons for this trip. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. So if we learn them, I mean, if if they stick and we remember them, that's that'll be when when it's good. I doubt that'll happen. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so thank you all for listening. Make sure to sign up for the Global Big Day. I know you're going to go birding anyways. You don't have to join the team. You can do it yourself. It's free Um, to sign up. Yeah, and you might win something. So, and we'll have Tim back um, in a later episode to tell us how we all did. Thank you for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe learned something. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe on, you know, all the services that you listen to us, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, all those. And if you'd like to connect with us on the socials, please follow us at Hannah Goes Birding and Eric Goes Birding on Instagram. Hannah with an H. Eric with a K. <laughs> I don't know what you're pointing <laughs> at me about that. Um, our Twitter is at We Go Birding. Our Facebook page is Hannah and Eric Go Birding. Our email is Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. Pretty repetitive. I hope, um, yeah, you can figure that out. And our website is gobirdingpodcast.com. So another one of the weird ones, that one and Twitter are different. Um, and you can also uh, tell us what you liked and tell us what you hated through our email, through our website, all that stuff. So share us with your friends and help share the love of birding with everyone.